Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Jen A, and I am a uh, recovered compulsive overeater. I'm here in Colorado, and today is Thursday, April 7, 2022. It's 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Today we're reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in the chapter titled, The Doctor's Opinion. We're on page XXVIII reading the first paragraph, beginning with, we believe and so suggested, all the way through become astonishingly difficult to solve. That's one paragraph only. Today's readers are Team Thursday, 12 Steps, Lori E., 12 Traditions, Barb W. We have the readers of the text, Lisa B., Christina L., and Martha Z. Our newcomer reader is Marge O., and our second hour moderator is Kathy C., the reference numbers for yesterday, Wednesday, April 6, 2022, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Big Book Study Recording is 18,786. That's 18786. And our 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Big Book Study Recording is 18,787. 1878. Sorry, 1878,000. That was a twister there. All right. Well, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. So our sole purpose here, the OA fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Had a vision for you, big book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lori E. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Lori E., compulsive eater in Iowa. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to, doing, when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me serve today. I pass. Thank you. I will now ask Barb W. to read the 12 traditions. Hi, Barb W., recovering in Illinois. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group ought to be, should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group is but one, has one, but one, a primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for having me serve, and thank you for serving. Have a good day. Thanks so much, Lori Yee and Barb W. This is how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're going to read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we'll stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. So to share, you'll press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we resume our study in the chapter, The Doctor's Opinion. It's in the big book, page XXVIII, and it's the first paragraph. I'm now going to ask Lisa B. to begin reading. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Jen. Thank you so much for your service and everyone that's here. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in South Carolina. We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomena of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. 
And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. This is such a valuable paragraph for me. Um, so chronic, chronic is anything that is persisting for a long time and constantly recurring. And I can remember the awareness that food did something for me, and it started with large portions of even healthy food, you know, just large portions at our Sunday family dinner, um, having multiple portions. You know, I remember feeling, I liked that feeling of fullness. And then, you know, like in Bill's story, when he was again lonely, you know, when he was lonely, he once again went to alcohol. That happened to me as I went on, you know, through the years, into my high school years and and my early teens, just that it did something for me. And then I became aware of the ingredients, you know, the specific ingredients, and that they did something for me. And the phenomena of craving, so phenomena is an abnormal reaction. I was having an abnormal reaction to volume and ingredients compared to my other family members. And the average temperate drinker, it's so important that I as a compulsive overeater really understand what an average temperate eater is because they are in our fellowship and we may sponsor them or they may want to be sponsored one day. And I need to know, you know, how to help someone find their truth. And it talks about that in our text, you know, what an average temperate eater or drinker is. And, and it could get worse. Like I could start out as an average temperate eater and then I could get worse. And the thing is I needed to see is that I am um, I am that uh, distinct entity and I had to come to that conclusion on my own. For a long time I had self-confidence. I had youth and, you know, all this other stuff on my side. And then the, the disease is just very patient. It got progressively worse and for a long time it just stayed the same, which was just hell and, hellish enough to be horrible but not so devastating that I couldn't stop working or lose my house or I wasn't going to lose my marriage, you know. And self-confidence is my enemy. Um, so these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form. This is the beginning of step one for me. And I needed to see this when I started working with my recovered sponsor, that that was the very beginning. The more... The deeper I embrace, and with a sense of urgency, I embrace this chapter, the stronger my recovery is going to be. You know, I couldn't debate, well, this isn't too bad. I can have a little bit of that. I really needed to take everything literally in this book. Can't have it safely in any form at all. And then once having formed that habit, I cannot break it. And then I lose my self-confidence, which is really a blessing in disguise. You know, and my reliance upon things human it doesn't work. The solution is a higher power. But I had to see, like step one in the AA 12 and 12, I love reading that with newcomers when they're not quite sure if they're there yet. It's such a great chapter, so I encourage anyone to read that. But um, my problems pile up. I used to have to go through Starbucks to get my Carmel Macchiato to talk to my father on the phone. You know, just to have a customer service person on the phone, I had to have something. I couldn't handle anything, but that's where it got in the end. So we're approaching time, and I'm looking forward to hearing all of you share. Thank you. I pass. Thanks so much, Lisa B., for kicking us off. Awesome. We do value everyone's experience that's here on the line with us this morning. So we're asking that you limit your share to every third day. That way others can share their experience too. So who would like to share on the paragraph that was read this morning? Three, Lisa R. 
Christina L. So before ne before Nessa, um, I heard some other voice. Can you speak up again? Teresa P. Thank you, Teresa. Bar Barbara G. Mike Michael M. Barbara E. Rachel K. Katie L. Let me stop right there. Okay, so this is who I heard, and I missed one person in there. So Teresa, Nessa, Christina, Barbara G, Mike. Then I think I heard another Barbara. Barbara, Barb W, was that you? It's Barbara E and Katie F. Oh, oh thank you, Katie F. That was another. So I have Barbara G, and then I have Barbara E. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, so here's the lineup. You can just give me your initial and uh, the state and where you're calling from when we get there. We have Teresa, Nessa, Christina, Barbara G, Mike, Barbara E, and Katie F. Wonderful. So let's start off with Teresa. Good morning. Welcome. Hi, Teresa P., a uh, grateful member of Readers Anonymous, is recovered, thankfully, and uh, Another one of those great paragraphs. Um, you know, I need to have my disease described to me. And actually over and over again, because I have uh, part of my brain, you know, is the disease part, forget. You know, and I have that allergy. And, you know, and I have that allergy. And But, you know, I don't break out in a rash like some people do. Thank goodness I don't break out in an anaphylactic shock and can't breathe. However, you know, my disease does have fatal um, reactions. I could actually, um, actually, I did um, get into that with the, uh, come, about, come to think about choking because, you know, I got to the point where I could shovel food down and um, it could, had to. Now, there's no could about this. It was had to. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how do you stop this stuffing it in and not waiting? And you could, you know, I could choke on this. And, but still, you know, that can stop me. I, you know, it can kill me. I can kill myself like this because that's the nature of the disease, you know, allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. And that uh, allergic reaction, you know, is that, you know, I have to keep eating at that, you know, insatiable craving. And it does get worse. This disease is definitely progressive. And the good news is that recovery is also progressive. So I have this allergy to these uh, whatever foods and behaviors. And so, you know, these, these are the things that are, you know, that I use to, to blot out the, the restless discontent and irritable, that discomfort of life. And there's so many things in life that I, I don't want to deal with. And I didn't even realize I didn't want to deal with them. And so, of course, my problems pile up, you know, because when I ignore a problem, you know, it doesn't go away. We had a a drip on our, our kitchen faucet was dripping, and it was like drip, drip, you know, and then it just got worse, and, you know, and, and it got worse, and uh, it wasn't, I, I didn't, uh, well, had difficulties trying to get it uh, fixed, but then it was, a, that was just like a steady stream, I just, I can hear it, you know, and and then, but finally, though, we did get it resolved, and I just go over there and listen, and bless the sound of silence, no dripping, <laughs> It's wonderful. But then, of course, there's the other problems that are piling up also. But that's life. Life is full of the little um, irritations, that little restless discontent and irritable. And what I get to do is, you know, I'm blessed today because I have the handbook to life. It's called the big book. And, you know, it uh, gives me the, um, the 12 steps and how to use them 
in. Sorry, we have somebody unmuted. Can somebody mute the line, please? Thank you. Go right ahead, Teresa. Thank you. And uh, so I have those uh, 12 steps to, you know, deal with my uh, my emotions, that restless discontent near the fear, the resentment, all those things. And I get to do it on a daily basis. And it doesn't matter how trivial it is or how ridiculous it is, ridiculous it is. And I do, I do 10 steps on all the things that they're rolling around in my mind or making my gut clench. Just put them out there, whatever it is, and then give them away. And the process works. And so today, you know, I get, I get a life that's, you know, so much more manageable and to see the, the, the life and humor into it and really mostly they'll look at myself and look at me and really take care of me the first time and work on my selfishness, dishonesty, resentments and fears and self-seeking. And, you know, how can I be of time, please? Thank you for letting me. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thanks, Teresa P. Appreciated. Up with next, we have Nessa R. Farrell by Christina L. Good morning to you, Nessa. Go right ahead. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, vision for you. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I also want to talk about the phenomenon of craving because I, I didn't understand it. You know, like I, of course, I knew what a craving was. You know, craving is when a pregnant woman wants uh, pickles and and ice cream together. That's a craving. Um, And this issue of the phenomenal craving is central to the discovery of the doctor and the um, the allergy of the body, which is the phenomenon of craving, um, which is the impetus to being abstinent. And, And of course, because I didn't understand it, abstinence, you know, eluded me for a long time. Even though I thought I was abstinent, I wasn't really abstinent. And you know, so what is the abnormal reaction? Abnormal means that it affects me differently than it affects other people. You know, um, for some other person, they might have a craving for for ice cream beforehand. You know, like they think, oh, ice cream, you know, and they go and eat ice cream and it's done. You know, for me, the phenomenal craving arises after I eat the ice cream. And I don't break out in a rash as was shared or, 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 or anaphylaxis or, or watery eyes. I break out in a desire for more. So there's two things that are abnormal for me. One is that the phenomenal craving happens for me after I eat, not before, like a normal person. And after, when I eat it, instead of being satisfied, I want more. I'm more and more and more. My, my craving just gets intensified. Um, which is the reason why uh, entire abstinence is absolutely essential because I know that once I take that one bite, I'm going to wake up the craving and then I'm not going to be able to stop. I mean, I'm not able to stop that craving any more than I could stop a rash or, or a sneeze or, or, or anything like that. And so this is what makes it imperative, imperative that I be entirely abstinent. And that means zero tolerance for any of my trigger foods, trigger ingredients, trigger behaviors, because they will send me into this biological imperative to eat more and more and more and more and more. And until that is um, uh, you know, uh, put aside, uh, it doesn't matter how hard I work the steps. I can work the steps very hard, but if I'm still eating, nothing is going to happen. Uh, so um, that's all I wanted to share. Thank you. 
Thanks so much, Nessa R. Up next, we have Christina L. followed by Barbara G. Hey, Christina. Hey, Jen. Thanks so much for hearing me. Thanks um, for your service. This is Christina L. Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Florida. And um, Nessa said pretty much everything that I wanted to say, so thank you. And um, it just reminds me, too, of when I first came into program when I was just told to put down flour and sugar. But, you know, there was no explanation about, you know, that uh, I needed to put it down in any form at all because then I just picked up the artificial sweeteners thinking that that was perfectly fine because it said no sugar. And um, I was also told that it was fine as long as it was the fifth or sixth ingredient on the label, um, which I followed for a good, I don't know how long, but uh, until, you know, someone told me that I couldn't even have artificial sweeteners and stuff. And all it did for me was just continue to set off the allergy. And like Nessa had previously said, you know, I don't have cravings today until I put the food in my body. And I actually had a kind of an interesting experience, uh, a month or two ago, whenever it was, that um, I was feeling, um, I was actually craving, like, beef, like, red meat, and then, like, a few days later, I was craving um, spinach, which, I don't even like spinach, but, um, not that much, anyway, but that was what my body was craving, and then, you know, once I I had those um, in my food plan and everything like that, you know, I didn't, I didn't need them anymore. I didn't want them. But when I put like any form of sugar in my system, it sets off like, I've been listening to Herb K lately. I really like the word that he used, a biological mandate that sets off that phenomenon that is going to require more and more and more and more, which, um, which is going to kill me um, in one way, shape, or form. And uh, so today I'm just grateful for um, you know knowing the difference and knowing what my alcoholic ingredients are and um, just being clear as to what I need to stay away from, um, you know, not having any sugar in any form whatsoever, whether it's the fifth ingredient on the list or not even, or it's disguised as something completely different, like natural flavors and stuff. Um, You know, I I stay away from it completely. And um, so I'm just uh, working my steps every single day, um, being abstinent and uh, grateful for all of you. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much for letting me share. Perfect timing. Thanks so much, Christina L. Up next, we have Barbara G. Then it'll be followed by Mike. Hello, Barbara. Hi. Hi, Jen. Hi, everyone. My name is Barbara G. And I'm calling from uh, Paris, France. And I was, uh, I've been staring at this paragraph for the last 10 minutes, uh, uh, really, really being so much inspired by what it contains and also by what you all said about it. And uh, I love the adverb used, never and safely. I love the never and uh, because today it is a truth for me, but it took me a long time to understand that I can never eat in a certain way safely. 
and uh, um, the use of alcohol that it's mentioned here. I was also thinking, what does it mean for me to use alcohol as a compulsive overeater? And uh, this morning, I thought it doesn't only refer to the fact that I can't have certain ingredients. It also refers to the fact that I can't eat um, in accordance to what I think is the quantity that I should eat. Because when I came to these rooms and I started to work the program very seriously, as if my life depended on it because I do have a deadly disease, I was also introduced to the fact that my allergies is not only limited to certain ingredients and foods, but also to certain quantities, to the quantity. I am a quantity eater. I've always, I have pushed the limits of my disease so far that I am absolutely unable to uh, decide what to eat myself. And I learned that I lost the power of choice, not just about what to eat, not just about when, to eat, but also about how much to eat. And if I don't have someone telling me, as a nutritionist in my case, how much of this I need to eat, how much of that I need to eat, I am out of that safety place, safety place that it's talking about here in this paragraph. And uh, um, and uh, um, it's uh, it's it's. It's the solution I have today. And to summarize and just to wrap up, to me, this paragraph contains the truth, the ultimate truth about my disease. And uh, I was talking to a fellow in program this morning, and we talked about that famous sentence that we also use in the rooms that it says, to thine own self be true. And uh, if this is my truth, it's the way I can practice to be true to myself. And uh, uh, when I say to another, you know, I can't have that. I, I just, uh, I, this is the way I eat. What I'm doing is instead of thinking that I'm embarrassing myself as I've been thinking all my life, I am going the, I am giving to the other person the greatest gift I could give them because I am giving them my truth. And, uh, I am very grateful to be here with all of you, and I'll pass. Thanks so much, Barbara. Good to hear you. All right, now we have Mike. Mike, if you'll give me the first initial of your last name, and then we'll have another Barbara, Barbara E. This is Michael M. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for your service. um, I'm a long-timer, and I am so grateful to, but five years ago, I found vision, and... You know, when I look at, I realize that, you know, when I, I, the, the phenomenon of craving is horrendous. However, over the years and years and years, most of the cravings of my alcoholic foods have left. And I realize that that's why people talk about neutrality. You know, I'm a bit slow. And it amazes me still. I mean, I, I can get a craving way before I, I have anything or even after. And it's uh, over the years, I believe, for me, understanding the big book and understanding more of myself, the physical, emotional, and spiritual, uh, a lot of my trigger foods, there are a lot of foods that are legal that I can't have. So that's why I love, you know, having a list of this I know, even though it's healthy, 
it's not healthy for my body. And I realized that, you know, of course, food was my first drug of choice. And, you know, thanks to higher power and saying in the program, you know, I've been uh, normal size for more than half of my life. And if I have a problem, I've always thrown the baby out with the bathwater. So I worked diligently at just keep coming back. And thank you so much for your service. And I pass. Thank you so much, Michael M. Appreciate your share today. Up next, we have Barbara E., then followed by Katie F. Hey, Barbara. Good morning. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Go right ahead. Oh, great. Oh, so grateful for this program and that I know I'm abstinent but not cured. When I first came to OA, my program was my abstinence and my food plan and the meetings, and they were enough to take the pounds off but not to keep them off. So for the next decade, I went deeper, learning to recognize feelings and how to cope with them. When I was angry, I saw that I ate at people instead of confronting them. When I was fearful, I ran away into the food no matter what the feeling, lonely, depressed, hurt, self-hating, guilty, deprived, worried. I used food to bury it. Since I was abstinent and didn't eat over it, I maintained my weight loss. Gradually, I learned healthy alternatives. When I was envious, I realized that the person I envied was someone to learn from. Loneliness didn't mean I needed other people. It was a sign that I was alienated from myself. Boredom signaled that I needed to go to a meeting, make a phone call, read a book. The craving to kill myself with food, my disease slowly vanished. I substituted emotional and mental, mental sustenance for food. In this decade, my food is spiritual because, I, because I've surrendered my will, because my heart has been opened by 25 years of sharing and listening to OA members. I'm now fed by gratitude. I'm grateful for simple things. I'm grateful for connection. I sense a close bond among the different aspects of myself and between me and my higher power. I now have faith that my higher power is helping me to learn and attain my life's purpose. My self-hate is gone. I am my best friend. I encourage myself. I believe that I'm God's child and I'm loved and cared for daily. God knows what I need better than I do, and he wants me to have it even more than I do. I'm given what I need when I need it if I'm in the flow of divine ideas. Because I've emptied myself of self, I can be receptive to spiritual food, to stop wanting to control the world, and with my disease arrested as long as I do it one day at a time, I now have the courage and the humility to say, I don't know, I need help. I have the wisdom to remain teachable. That's why I come here to listen and learn and thank you for participating in my recovery. I couldn't do it without you. The steps, my sponsor, and the fellowship to support me. That's why God gave me two ears and one mouth, so I'll pass. 
Perfect timing. Thanks so much, Barbara E. All right. Well, before KDF shares, I just wanted to let people know where we're at today. Uh, we're in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in the chapter titled uh, The Doctor's Opinion, and um, it's page XXVIII, two X's, one V, three I's. We're in the first paragraph. We believe in so suggested, and we're commenting and sharing our experience on that one paragraph. All right, KDF, go right ahead. Good morning. This is KDF, a recovered compulsive overeater from Virginia. And I love this paragraph because it explains who and what I am. And, you know, I'm so grateful that God, in his wisdom, at 25 years of recovery in this program, I found a vision for you, or a vision for you started, it, it, you know, in 2012. When a vision for you started, I'd been absent already and living a recovered, happy, joyful, and free life for 25 years. But, you know, I could have been the man at 30 um, at that point and at 25 years thought, you know, this isn't so bad. What was I thinking? Why did I think I needed to give this up forever? I mean, come on. You know, it's been 25 years. And this paragraph talks about who and what I am as a compulsive overeater, and I am limited. I like the word limited in this paragraph that it says that not every single person who has um, a problem with food is in this chronic class of people. And I am. And by God's grace, I remember exactly what it was like now 34 years ago when I was face down in the food every single day, eating and eating and eating beyond. Katie, we lost you. Sorry, I got stopped there. Okay, so. that's okay. You were talking about eating and eating and eating. We ha- we are at the eating yeah. part. Go right ahead. We're at the eating part. So, yeah, so I couldn't stop, and I remember that like it was yesterday. And I'm really grateful for that because I know that I would be right back there if I were to go back to the food, that I have a chronic condition that although I'm recovered, that I am living in this happy, joyous, and free life, I'm able to walk around a free person to eat the food on my food plan and not have the phenomenon of craving triggered. I know that if I went back there for one day, you know, why not just today? You know, I'm traveling, I'm busy, um, I'm running a half marathon, I need more food, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, you know, why can't I just eat these foods? Why can't I have the goo that they pass out when you're running? You know, and I can't, because I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. And, you know, not everybody is, as I said, not everybody has this condition, even though there are so many overweight people in this country, in particular, it doesn't mean that they are just like me. We are limited. We're a limited class of people. And, you know, I always think I'm like to think I'm special. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm special in this chronic condition. And, you know, there is a way out. I don't have to go back to that ever. Even though I've been around forever, I don't have to go back and say, well, I don't belong anymore. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Katie. All right, that was Katie F. from Virginia. So I'm going to take a list of names. Uh, we do value everyone's experience that's here on the line with us today. We do ask that you limit your share to every third day. That way other voices uh, can be heard and we can hear their experience as well. 
Who else would like to share on this paragraph this morning? Rachel K. G. Kim A. Okay. Lisa B. T. Hold on just a second. After Rachel, who was it besides Kim? There was somebody in between. Linda Chris D. G. Oh, Chris G. Thank you. Chris G. Kim G. Then who was after Kim? Lisa B. T. Thanks, Lisa. Janice S. Janice. Anybody else? Don't be shy. Rachel K., Chris G., Kim G., Lisa B. T., Janice S., and... Alice G. Thanks, Alice. All right. Write that one down. That's an awesome lineup. Here we go. Rachel K., can you get us started? Sure. Thanks, Jen. There you go. Hi, this, is, this is Rachel K., uh, Recover Compulsive Overeater uh, in Indiana, although the website still says California. Um, yeah, this passage, um, what uh, sort of jumped out to me was that having lost your self-confidence. I remember I went to therapist. I mean, I was in therapy since, uh, you know, a child um, because my parents recognized that I had this disease pretty early and um, and not to knock therapy, you know, I mean, there are a lot of very good therapists out there, but, you know, there was a lot of, uh, well, you need to, to love yourself and you need to, you know, it, it's self-hating and self-punishing and it never made sense that that was the solution because first of all, you know, I was destroying my life, even at a very early age, you know, this disease was destroying my life. I was eating, it was keeping me from, you know, doing all the things, even as a kid that I wanted to do. And who would love somebody who was doing that to them? You know, I mean, this, who, what is there, what was there to like about somebody who keeps on sabotaging somebody else, you know, that person just happened to be me or my disease, like what's, what's there to, yeah. I mean, and I could even admit, yeah, I have these qualities and everything, but I keep on doing this to me. Why would I love all of me? Why would I love that? And, um, and so, you know, and if other solutions work for you, that's great. But the whole thing about, you know, loving myself and 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 things like that, it just that was not gonna work. What what did was knowing that God loves me. And even now, uh, you know, and doing these steps and doing these steps for a power greater than myself, doing these steps for God so that I can serve God and you know, the rest of his children. And in step three, I made a decision, a commitment to follow God's will to, you know, have my actions and my thoughts, my turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And, you know, as I best understand what he wants for me, well, I believe that he wants me to treat all of his kids, including myself, well. So it doesn't really even matter now whether I love myself or not. If God loves me, which I believe, then I'm supposed to 
treat myself with love and respect, not because it's a nice thing to do or it feels good or because I read it on a bumper sticker, but because God loves me. And I decided to follow what I believe God's will to be. I don't know if that makes sense. It sounds kind of convoluted now coming out of my mouth. But anyway, um, so that's, and that's my time, I think. And so I'm going to pass. Thanks a lot, Jen. Hey, you're welcome, Rachel K. Indiana, labeled as California, if you want to find her on the list. Thanks. Chris G., you're up next, followed by Kim G., I think it is. So, Chris, go right ahead. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, this is Chris G. Um, I spell it with a K. I live in Tennessee. And I thank everybody for sharing this morning and everybody that's doing service today. Uh, this paragraph, this paragraph is so important. And um, it describes my experience. I learned about the phenomenon of craving over and over. I remember my experience with a particular alcoholic food of mine. My experience at 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, 23, I can describe my experience in great detail. What I learned was the more I ate, the more I wanted. And if I ate more, I wanted more. And if I ate more, I wanted more. And I learned that many times. The only answer was to not eat it. But then a year later, I would have it. And I had experienced the phenomenon of craving. I had a physical reaction to eating a certain food. I can remember the details from 35 years ago. And in this paragraph, it says that I can never safely use my alcoholic foods in any form at all. And I believe that. And that's how I know I belong in these rooms. That's how I know I am a real compulsive overeater. I have a real physical allergy, and it's important for me to know that. But as we see in the next paragraph, self-knowledge is not enough. And what we need in order to, to be grounded, we need to be grounded in a power greater than ourselves if we are to recreate our lives. So just not eating the food, though that's very important, that was not a solution. And we find a solution in this book. So this paragraph, to understand this and know this, is so, so helpful. And with that, I pass. Well, thanks so much, Chris G, Tennessee. Chris with a K. Up next is Kim. I'm not sure if I have your last initial right. Um, would you it's let me K. know, please? Oh, Kim yeah, K. K. Thank, Thank you. No, Thank like you apple. so much. Oh, well, goodness. Thank you. So <laughs> I don't know if it's me, Kim A, like Apple from New York City. Nah, Thank you. I just, it's your cute little accent. So, all right, go ahead, oh. sister. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, for years and years and years, I tried to follow a food plan and found I was unable to and thought that I was the problem. I thought that I was a failure. And this is in OA. I tried to avoid sugar. I tried to weigh and measure. And none of that ever worked for me. And looking back, it's because I realized that for me, a food plan is no different than a diet. And if I was able to follow a diet, if I was able to control anything about my food, I wouldn't need to be here. I could follow a regular diet and lose weight like the rest of the civilized world. 
Um, so after 18 years of finding like zero success, I found that there was another way to interpret things. And what I came to understand was that I personally do not have a physical allergy, which helped me make sense of why I was never able to follow a food plan. It wasn't about avoiding sugar for me because, you know, the big book explains kind of later on in page that, you know, we go through this cycle where we take the first bite and then we go into a spree or a binge. And, you know, that happens because of our thinking, because we are restless, irritable, and discontented. I'm restless, irritable, and discontented because my perceptions have me like interpreting life in a way where I'm always just freaking resentful and trying to control everything to have things my way and living in fear. That's what would cause me to take that first bite, right? I was getting ease and comfort from food. It wasn't that I would take a bite of something that I was physically allergic to and then not be able to stop. And again, this is for me because I know this is a really different interpretation. But to me, and I am a chronic compulsive eater of the seemingly hopeless variety, like without a doubt. And I always thought that I hated compulsive eating, that it made me feel like crap, which it did. But if it didn't bring me some sort of ease and comfort, I wouldn't have kept doing it, right? That's the reason why we keep doing it, because it's bringing us some kind of ease and comfort. And when I would try to use willpower to follow a food plan, I was taking away the only source of comfort I had. So, of course, my mind would inevitably lead me back, even if I wasn't eating like a drop of sugar. And so the sugar for me, it's not a physical thing. For me, this is all about working the steps so I can get to the reasons that my thinking is causing me to be restless, irritable, and discontented, and full of self-pity, and all that other stuff which causes me to go to food for ease and comfort. So if I can work the steps and find a different solution for life, which I have, which is steps 10, 11, and 12, right? If I live in 10, 11, and 12, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then I, the food, like, fell into place for me. And it took a while. It wasn't something that I flipped a switch and it was overnight. It wasn't like that. But I found relief once I worked the steps. I couldn't find relief in step four. I couldn't find relief in step six. It wasn't until I got to 10, 11, and 12. Thanks, I'll wrap up. And so I worked the steps really quickly, and I have found that neutrality around food. So I don't have to be afraid of food. I don't have to avoid food. And that's how this worked for me. Kim A. in New York City, thanks so much for letting me share. Thanks, Kim A. Up next is Lisa BT, followed by Janice S. Good morning to you, Lisa. Hi. Uh, good morning. This is Lisa BT, a uh, gratefully recovered overeater living in Guelph near Toronto, Ontario. Um, wow. You know, as always, you, know, you, you start with just the paragraph, and then so many great um, things people have shared. Um, it just, It just is wonderful the way every time I listen to one of these meetings, it just um, is is so rich. And one thing that somebody said um, that really is why I wanted to, to speak this morning was this idea of um, wanting to have a nice, you know, um, sweet, milky drink before making a phone call to a relative. And um, And I thought, 
Yeah, you know, um, I have used, you know, food to make things easier in what I perceived was going to be hard um, or painful or I didn't like it, et cetera. Um, But I think for me in my journey, which is now uh, since about 2004 in the rooms, um, with with varied um, success, I'd have to say, I'm sort of, I never go away, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've not had um, a long-term continuous abstinence, um, is that I think I've never really quite believed when people say, um, now that I'm abstinent, I'm living a life that is beyond my wildest dreams. Because I say to myself, but but there's so many hard things in the world and just look at the evidence and maybe it's just nicer here in, in, in my metaphorical house looking out and being safe and having something nice and comforting um, when I want to. Um, and then life kind of uh, presented um, a divorce and some very difficult circumstances that I had no choice but to walk through. And, and much of it I did do abstinent. And I'm on the other side of all that now. It's like 10 years ago now. And I'm seeing that, that actually um, to protect, you know, quote unquote, protect myself from feelings and life with food, even if it weren't an issue of weight or health, keeps me from truly being in life. And it is like being in the house instead of going outside. Um, and I think I had to, to, I I don't think I could understand that intellectually, you know, they say, you know, all those things about awareness and so on. I think I had to see that I could go through the ups and downs of life and it wasn't going to kill me. Um, it, it wasn't going to take away anything from me at the end of the day. It was going to allow me, um, to, to, be in life um, in a whole different way. So I'm very grateful for that, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Janice S., you're up next, followed by Alice G. Good morning to you, Janice. Or is it Janice? Janice Janice or Janice? It's Janice. Thank you. You're kind. Go right ahead. Thank you. This is Janice S., and I'm from Tennessee. Excuse me, I'm a compulsive eater, um, compulsive overeater, recovered now. The reading today reminds me that there are several aspects to my disease. The line, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form, and once having formed the habit, found they cannot break it. My my disease has many symptoms, and food, of course, is eating food is one of my major symptoms of it. But I I like to think that they bring up the habit. A lot of my overeating is 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 the habit. One of my habits was, you know, after my husband went to bed at night, and I sat settled in to watch TV and play games on my tablet and just had my time. Oh, I also had to have a big old bag of peanut butter M&Ms and sometimes I would make the popcorn and of course I can't just eat a little. I just keep eating and eating and eating because 
My disease does not just let me eat a little bit. I can't stop. I continue and continue. So the habit was that I did that night after night after night. That was a habit. Unfortunately, habits, as we know, are hard to break. But it was more than just the habit. It was the compulsive overeating. If I had a habit of just eating a bowl full of popcorn every night, that would be one thing. But my my compulsive overeating makes me continue to eat and eat and eat. My point being that it's not just one thing that causes me to be ill with the disease. It's many things. It's that the thing in my mind, and it's also, you know, my connection with God. There's so many aspects to my recovery. And as I continue to come to these meetings, and so thankful that you're here, I learn more and more and more each day. So I'm grateful that you're here, and thank you for giving me the time to share. With that, I pass. Absolutely. Janice S. from Tennessee, thanks for getting on the line with us this morning. All right, Alice G., you're our last share for the day. Perfect timing. Go right ahead. Good morning, family. Good morning, Jen. Thanks for taking the meeting. Alice G., recovered compulsive overeater in Wisconsin. Um, So grateful to be here and be in this chapter of the book. It's so exciting. So when I read this this morning, I wanted to look up the word phenomenon, and maybe somebody else has mentioned this. I wasn't available for the whole meeting, but um, in my dictionary, it says a rare fact or occurrence, an extremely outstanding or unusual thing, a marvel. And I just looked that up, and I just smiled when I saw that, because that is what I have, a phenomenon. The craving is a phenomenon and does not occur in the average eater. Um, Because I used to look at people who could eat a piece of cake and be done. And and my first sponsor in OA told me, not one lick, not one bite, not one taste, Alice. And today I know what she meant by that because it triggers the phenomenon of craving in my body. I have a physical allergy to certain substances. And everybody's substances are different. And somebody I heard this morning mentioned volume. And that's one of the things, one of the behaviors that triggers me is volume. So for me, um, I needed to get a list of those allergic substances and those behaviors and get a grip on that. And it wasn't until, honestly, I could hit my knees and say, I'm done. You know, I had to be surrendered. I hung around I hung around these rooms for a long time. I read the big book for a long time, but I just wasn't ready. And for me, it wasn't, I wasn't ready until I could put my food on the scale and commit it to a sponsor every day. And that's the surrender I need. And the other phenomenon today that I have is the peace that comes with that surrender. I mean, the freedom that I have today because I put my food on the scale I don't have to be in that torturous obsession um, because I see those other people eat one piece of cake and if I take one lick or one taste, I'm going to be trying to figure out how to bring the cake home so I can hide in my pantry and eat the rest of it, you know, and, and that's where the, the four hideous horsemen come in again of terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. How did I get here? I wasn't surrendered. Um, 
So I'm super grateful for this program and grateful for um, the peace I have today. It is one of the many gifts of this program is that I have peace today around the food. And, um, and this disease is mental, physical, and, and spiritual. And I need to treat all those things um, for me in being a chronic um, <laughs> compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. I need to treat all aspects of my disease. So the first is, is just figuring out what those substances are and putting the food on the scale and surrendering. So I'm super grateful to be here today with you guys. I can't have a meeting by myself. So thanks for everybody who gives 12-step work on this uh, meeting. God bless. I'll pass. Thank you so much, Alice. Appreciate you. And thanks for taking us out. That's Alice G. from Wisconsin. And also thank you to everybody else who shared and those for you who are listening on the line this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We'll get your pen and paper out. Here's the share ID number for today. Thursday, April 7th, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is 18,794. That's 18794. We're now going to close with a reading from the big book. It's on page 164, and then we're going to be following it uh, by the serenity prayer. So, Christina L., please read A Vision for You. Okay. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.